In today's episode of Board Game Impact, Josh and I talk through the games we've been playing recently, as well as share some feedback that we receive from listeners and the commitments that we have now made as hosts. So stay tuned to hear how your community improvement suggestions have taken effect. Welcome to Board Game Impact. Board Game Impact is a podcast in which we combine our love of board gaming and also our educational backgrounds so that way we can share and break down the gaming experiences that we're having so that way you can have knowledge to make empowered decisions that are going to make a positive impact on you as well as your gaming group. So my name is Bruce Brown, and if this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you're a returner to the show, thanks for listening. So as if you are a returner, you know it's not just me, but it is also Josh. Josh, say hi to everybody. Welcome, listeners. Yeah, so Josh and I are really excited to be back. We know that we had that super long episode last time, Um, so we had regular content, but then we went into all of the Spiel des Jahres games, and so thank you for listening through that, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to all the Spiel nominees, go check out that last episode, because I literally played through every one of those games at BGG Spring, and Josh was asking me questions about it, and the nom- the nominees should get selected here in the next couple weeks if you're listening at the, to the, at the time of this recording, at the time of this being published, so do know we will be saying which games do get selected and also weighing in on that as well from our perspectives. So before we get into everything for today, we just want to circle back on a couple things that we brought up in the last episode. And so that was like, hey, we'd really appreciate it if you would go on and rate us in whatever podcast application that you use to listen to the show. And we just want to take a quick second to do some shout outs. First of all, there's New Zan 2526 on Apple Podcasts. And then there's also... an. Uh, I'm going to say his real name uh, is Jeremy, and that's because he's got a very interesting username. It is Bone for Life. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, uh, I actually did get to meet him. He did put this in the comments. So thank you, Jeremy and NewZan2526 for putting in those comments. It was just really endearing to both Josh and I to hear directly from you all. And there was a couple other people who also did uh, just quick reviews of star ratings, but not the comments. And these two took that extra time, so we want to give a quick shout out. That being said, um, Jeremy actually pointed out a really good piece of constructive feedback for us, and that's why we love being a part of this great community. And that was just really sharing on how we're offering in some great and unique perspectives, really not going into the fluff around things, getting into the point. But uh, Jeremy also did offer some constructive criticism, and that is like, hey, can y'all work on shortening the episodes to be more about an hour or under per episode? And so that is exactly what we're actually aiming to do. So Jeremy, like you and I and J- and Josh are all on the same page with this, and so we are absolutely doing that. Uh, we just wanted to make sure to get out that Spiel des Jahres con- uh, content for everybody before all the awards do come out. So that way everyone can kind of know what's coming out before that happens. But do know and do expect that we are actively working on that. And so if you have other ideas for the show or things you'd like to have us discuss, like don't hesitate. This is a community and we want to make it uplifting for you. We want you to get the things out of it that you want. That being said, a way to engage in that community is do check out the Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash boardgameimpact, I know I've been doing a lot of just drop in quick little like 10 second videos to share what's going on for me. Um, But you can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram where Josh and I are posting content as well. That being said, I am going through, so if you're currently a subscriber on the YouTube channel, FYI, you're probably going to get a lot of emails because I'm actually going in and because uh, we got some requests from some people and so I'm like, not a problem. 
And that is I am uploading all the former podcasts and then future podcast episodes to YouTube. So do know that those will all be on the YouTube channel. So it's Board Game Impact. Also, in addition to that, I've been experimenting with some live videos. So I actually just made one the other night. So do go check that out. It's a quick 10-minute video, so that way you can get right into the content that you want. This being said, I have taken up way too much of your time talking about all this stuff. And so like, let's get to why you're actually here, and that's to talk about gaming. And so I'm actually going to just... You've heard from me enough, so I'm going to turn it right over to Josh. And Josh, what the heck have you been playing? And good to have you back. I'm glad to be back, Bruce. Um, so I've been uh, unfortunately unable to play as many games as I would typically like to be playing for the past few weeks. Um, you know, that's life that happens. But uh, the really, really fun thing I got to do a couple of nights ago um, and, and something that I'm hoping to, to get to do a few more times in the upcoming weeks is I got to do a cube draft for Magic the Gathering, something oh. I have not done in a very, very long age. That makes two of um, us. For listeners who may not be into card games uh, or or Magic the Gathering, Magic the Gathering, of course, is is a game from, I think, came out in 1990 um, from Wizards yeah. of the Coast. Um been around for a very long time, one of the oldest living card games, uh, still played and published and produced. Fantastic game, one of the best game designs, I think, of, of any anyone ever um, by Richard Garfield. And a cube draft is essentially a, a box of cards that a, a person curates with several hundred cards involved, depending on the number of players they anticipate drafting from and we'll set out uh, decks of just randomized decks of 16 cards given to each player to draft out um, selecting one card and passing the rest until all of them have been drafted and then do that three times and what you end up with is around 42 car or sorry did math wrong um however many cards, 16 times three, um, <laughs> you end up with a, a sack of cards. You then narrow those down to a 40 card ish deck, um, and play with your friends. Really, really enjoyable, fun, lighthearted way to, to play magic, the gathering, especially in an era where I no longer play. I sold all of my cards actually a couple years ago, um, actually traded them in and bought a bunch of board games with my trade-in money. Um, just because I, I can't keep up. It's too expensive of a hobby for me to keep up on a regular basis. And I am not competitive in a tournament-style play, which sometimes it kind of feels like that's what you have to be doing in Magic. So a cube draft, really fun, lighthearted way to just kind of see who among your friends can real quick build the best deck without a whole lot of metagaming or super strategizing. Just here are the cards that you have, deal with it and, and do the best you can out of it. Um, really had a blast. Bruce, you, you mentioned it's been a long time since mm -hmm. you've done this. Um, so when was the last time you cube drafted? Oh, cube drafting has been honestly... I think it's been five years since I lost at a cube draft. Now it's not the last time I saw or like helped with the cube draft. I actually helped with the cube draft at 
a year ago, BGG Spring, um, just kind of helping them get set up because it was just they were teaching a lot of people Magic the Gathering, um, and I I too am right there with you, Josh. Of there's a lot going on in the way Magic the Gathering. If you haven't ever played, um, this is a phenomenal game. It's very well done, but to really be in it, they're putting out different box sets pretty regularly and you have to stay within the X number of sets of the most recent releases in order to actually go and compete on their Friday night magic things, or you're doing more of like a draft style. And so you do have to kind of know what's going on with the cards, but cube drafts, I always found as a really great way to use all these cards that officially they're like, you, you're, you can't use these for tournaments, but you can use them in this setting and like, just go have fun with your friends. And like, to me, I'm just going to call it, I don't have time to do a tournament when keeping up with the list. I just don't. I just don't. Um, well, I guess I could, but that's not where I'm dedicating my energies, right? Um, I I want to just come together, and I want to just play with friends. And so cube drafts are the, would be the perfect way to do that. Um, what's fascinating is about a month ago, my family came down to Texas from New York and brought all my old Magic cards. So I'm talking like original like beta and then also like ice age cards, like these really old cards, but also is this cool thing is this black deck box and it's the magic, the gathering world championship deck for one of the finalists. Cause they like back in the day used to take those decks and then like, let's just, Hey, this person competed with this. Let's make it a thing. Um, but just to add another layer to this, Josh, I don't know if you are aware of this, and I did not tell you this was coming, um, but Magic the Gathering, according to science, apparently, um, this is from by the Emerging Technologies from the, uh, it's, a, it's a website, and they say Magic the Gathering is officially the world's most complex game. Because I, to this day, you choose, you make a deck of 60 cards from a pool of over 20,000 cards that have been made. I actually, interestingly enough, this was a topic of conversation at in my board game group a few weeks ago, um, something that was brought up. And, and yeah, I can 100% understand where that comes from because not only are they releasing, I think it's two to three blocks a year at this point. Yeah. And just the n- number of new cards. And every time they release new cards, they are adding new rules and new... I, the way in which me and my uh, old roommate from college used to explain magic to people is you have really realistically three or four basic rules to magic. And then every card you play is a new rule. Yep. And you you just follow whatever is on the field. Uh, you know, it is really really i i love magic i really do and a cube draft it reminded me of why i love magic and that is i i kind of fell out of love with magic because of how competitive it, it has gotten over the past few years and this reminds me of whenever i was a kid just with 20 bucks and running down to the store and grabbing a couple booster packs and throwing together what I could. Um, what I like to lovingly refer to as kitchen table magic. (laughs) It's nothing fancy. It's nothing flashy. It's just good fun between a couple friends. So really glad that, that I had a buddy who kept 
and held on to all of those cards. Bruce, super jealous that your family held on to all of yours. Um, they said they would kill me if I sold them just because of like, no, it reminds us of your childhood. I'm like, but you gave it to me. But I'm like, okay, I'm glad. I'm glad I have it. Yeah. I well, to be fair, I went back and looked for all of mine about four or five years ago, only to find out that they were sold in a garage sale when no. I was in uh, high school. So. Uh. I, I had taken a break in high school, and unbeknownst to me, they they were sold off. Uh, so that sucks, man. Um, <laughs> and so, sorry, I miscredited that the article I was talking about is actually from the MIT Technology Review, and something tells me they know combinatorics um, to, to crunch out that mathematics. <laughs> um, and yeah, so Magic: The Gathering, great game. It's just not like the whole competitive or collectible card game. Not really my cup of tea. Um, I'd rather just get a board game and like come together. And because I heard a quote the other day, um, this was for the like a new online TV series about board gaming. And so they had it was the designer of Grim Forest um, had on Rodney Smith to just talk about it because of course Rodney is the first host that they're bringing on. And Rodney brought up this point of well, when you're playing board games, it's really cool because it's not just the game in front of you, it's also like the game between the players. Not the game, but like the community that happens, right? And so that's why I love this hobby, is what he said is, how many times in this world, and I've said this quote now a couple times this week because it stood out to me so much, how many times in this world can you come together with different people, say you're gonna commit to learning something, A, but then also commit to playing by the same rules and, um, I just kind of think that's really cool. And I, I like the fact of a board game kind of being static in that and uh, not having to keep having to learn everything. So Cube Draft, more my way to go with this too. Um, but for the sake of time and to respect exactly what they brought up, um, let's move on to the next one. So um, do you want to do one or do you want me to do one? Have at it, Bruce. Okay, so I'm going to circle back and this is going to be a quick one and then I can go into a deeper one later. Um, so... I've already talked about this. Josh, I know your feelings on this. Listeners, if you listen to the episode uh, a couple episodes ago, you know his feelings on this, but the game is Food Chain Magnate. Um, so I bring it up because I the, the couple times I had played it, I'd always been in a larger group setting. And just to call it a lot of times, oh, and by the way, that's from Splatter, uh, Splatter Spellen over in Germany. Uh, every time I played it, it's in a larger group setting. I've never played it with my wife. And... We, it's a lot of the games I play is like the two of us. And so I want to make sure a game is also going to be compatible with that. Now, there's some games I buy to not play with her. No offense to her, but like, I just need my time too. But Food Chain, I'm like, I feel like she might like this. Um, and I want to know before investing because that base game can be about $90. Um, because it, and it is harder to find. And so borrowed a friend's copy. And we played it three times in like four days. Um, the two of us. And so she really liked it. We played the introductory game, uh, which you cut out like the half of the rule set. So how Food Chain Magnate works is you are, you're building literally an organizational chart and the people you have in your organizational chart, like CEO, recruiting gal. Yes, it is based in like the 1950s. So some of these things are very, um, very much not progressive views in terms of the terms they used on some of these things. So men tended to be more in leadership positions and women were not, and they were more supportive. Not really what I agree with, but it is what they chose to go with for the game based on the time period. Um, 
And based on the people you put in your organization chart, you get to take those actions on your turn. And what you're trying to do is you have a little uh, little store, essentially a restaurant, and you're selling off either beverages or food or both, but you're also doing all the marketing. So it's actually this really cool tension between everything of, do I want to focus on short-term gains? Do I want to focus on long-term gains? Um, do I want to really develop my people? And there's this really great tension there. And once the bank runs out of money, you reveal these cards that everybody put in on the front end, and you reveal how much longer the game's going to go based on how much more money gets added to the bank. When the bank runs out again, game is over. Whoever has the most money wins. My wife, after the first game, the other two, she dominated me. Um, she is actually really good, and it makes sense because she was managing a children's toy store, which is where we met. And so she knows retail. Um, the thing, the reason I wanted to bring this up besides getting to play it is I had a really cool experience that my wife kind of kicked me in the pants to do. And that was she asked me to email the designers of the game as well as the publisher. Because what is going on in this game is actually really reflective of my work for my PhD. Um, and so I emailed them, not expecting anything, just wanted to say praise of like, hey, y'all doing a great job with this game. I want to tell you about these great experiences I just had with my wife. And also, uh, she encouraged me to share my background. The designers and the publisher all emailed me back. Now, one of them is just like, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Like, keep enjoying it. Another one of the, uh, the designers wrote me a pretty long message saying, well, first of all, like, thank you for the praise. It's not often we hear from uh, gamers, but it's really nice when we do. And I also want you to know something, and that is when we were playtesting the game, we actually had a name for it. It wasn't Food Chain Magnate. It was Human Resource Manager. And the game was essentially doing that organization chart, the stuff I'm doing for my PhD. And so he's like, I want you to know that like, that's what the game was called before it became a thing, um, because that's what we were actually going for. So it's wonderful to hear that that is the connection that's being made out there in the world. And that, so I just wanted to bring that up because it was really meaningful to me, um, A, to hear back, but I could tell that they really just want to hear from us. And so... Like, don't hesitate to reach out to them. Don't hesitate to um, email them and message them. And just, you never know what kind of message you're gonna get back. It's always nice to enlighten somebody's day and give them a better day. That's really cool that you got a message back. I, I'm kind of impressed by that. Again, listeners, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first time we talked about Food Chain Magnate. That was, uh, we had, I think, a pretty pretty interesting conversation about it. And I, I shared my my perspective on the game but i'm glad to hear that that your wife also enjoyed the game bruce that you have somebody else to play with um and and it's it's really it's always nice to hear back from folks um who when you're communicating so great that you had a chance to have that experience yeah josh i just really appreciate the thoughts on that too listeners i think it was two episodes ago but it's in the title of the episode it says food chain magnate um i really like it Spoiler alert, Josh, it's not his cup of tea, um, but we have a really great discussion about it. So if you want to hear more about it, that's over there. Um, it's also on YouTube now, as I told you before. So Josh, um, what's a game you've been playing? So I've now gotten uh, this next game to the table twice. Um, really interesting um, game that I, I wasn't sure about whenever I picked it up um, because it is... Uh, essentially a re ostensibly a re-theming of an older game, a slightly older game. And that is Azul stained glass of Sentra. 
by Plan B Games. Um, and so for listeners who aren't aware, Azul came out in 2017, 2018. Right in there, because it won the spiel for 2018. So Yeah. Um, and Azul was a massive hit, obviously. Um, as Bruce just mentioned, it won the spiel. Um, Game of the Year in Germany. Um, in which you were pulling dice from a center, or sorry, pulling cubes from a centerpiece and placing them onto your player board, tr- trying to create the most efficient and effective design and complete the most of your mosaic before the end game condition is met, which is filling up one full row, um, or a player filling up one full row of their design. Stained Glass of Sintra follows a similar mechanic in that you are, once again, pulling tiles from a center piece. Um, except for this time, instead of placing them onto a, a grid system like in the original Azul, you are placing them onto columns, individual columns, which are going into stained glass pieces. And so you have on each column a certain pattern that you are trying to achieve with the different pieces that you're pulling. I I will say that it is one of the things that I think is interesting about comparing the two is I was a little bit hesitant on purchasing uh, stained glass, mainly because I owned Azul I liked Azul. I really enjoyed it. And I wasn't sure that this was going to be different enough to really warrant a new game less than really less than a year after I bought the the first Azul. Um, And I don't feel like I've played that out to a point where it's it's solved for me. Um, though I will say, I think my fiance has solved base game Azul. Um, she has consistently stomped me into the ground every time we've played for a while now. Sounds familiar. It sounds like my story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, it is, it is a game that she, it is her favorite game. Um, Azul, Azul is her favorite game right now. Okay. Um, she is a, she, she is a huge fan. So I haven't gotten a chance to play stained glass with her yet, but I did get it to the table with a few other folks. And I think it it mixes things up. I interestingly enough, I was questioning whether I would keep both of these games in my collection. And I think I will actually. Surprisingly enough, while they are very similar in play style, the thought processes and the decisions you have to make are unique enough that I think it's worth having both of them. By no means are you required to have both of them. I think you could choose one or the other and you'd be perfectly fine. But for my purposes, I like variety in my, in my collection. And so I think having both of them in my collection, each of them while similar scratch a kind of unique itch for me whenever I'm trying to bring a game to the table. So I really enjoyed this. Bruce, have you had, I know you 
played Azul, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But have you had a chance to play uh, Stained Glass ever? I have. Uh, actually, so the first time I played it was the night before BGG Con in the fall um, because it was one of the hot games from Essen. And so it had two of the tables set up there. So I was learning it the night before. And yeah, I thought it, it added a lot of nice variability. It felt you had some of the same touch tones of Azul, but then there was these different things um, that are added in um, that we don't need to go into in the podcast. But uh, I will say the scoring was a little bit more complex than mm -hmm. baseline Azul. And it's really great to hear how much she enjoys Azul. That's wonderful. Um, it's just one of those things of, I can completely understand that worry of like, if I already have this, do I need that? Mm -hmm. I honestly think they're two very different games uh, mm -hmm. because of the one thing you didn't mention, Josh, is that when you're putting things into those columns, if you fill up a column, it's kind of like Tetris where the row goes away, but it doesn't really go away. It flips to like a, a thing that gives you like more points. Um, so it's actually kind of cool. It's almost like you ship that piece of glass off to the place and like, here's your new one. And then if you were to complete that, too, it, then you get even more points. Um, so I think the two are very different, but have touchstones of the same. And so they le definitely learned and improved some things. But if you're looking for just like a, a simpler game, I think regular Zool is more your thing. If you're looking for a little bit more uh, layers going on, then Sintra might be more your thing. I, I'll agree with that 100%. I think Azul is... a Azul is so easy to teach and yeah. so easy to learn, and it, it, people pick up on it right away. Sintra, there's a little bit more thought process and, and metagaming that can take place, I think, um, especially with the way in which the scoring works. I think the thing I actually really enjoy a lot about Sintra is that scoring in base game Azul, scoring takes place on an individual's player board, mm -hmm. whereas in Sintra, scoring takes place on a common board. And so you are able to more easily see where you are at in comparison to other players, which makes it a little bit more competitive, I think. Yeah, but they balance that out, in my opinion, because of the way that they did it. Because Azul has where it's like essentially like the Mario steps, but you'd run up and then try and jump and catch the flag. Those are the spots you're putting stuff into. So like, there's not that many spots to have to keep track of for like mm -hmm. patterns, right, and colors. With Sintra, there's a, a little bit more. So yes, they made the information on score easier to see, but they added a little bit more complexity. And so it doesn't have as much hate drafting, in my opinion, that Azul can sometimes have if you math it out. Oh, but Bruce, you have not played with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 to be determined, I guess, <laughs> listeners. Um, and some tells me he's going to whoop me in this game when we get to play soon. And so, yeah, well, that's just my take on it when I got to play it. But sounds like you have some insights there. I, uh, I, really, I, I think the, the, I hate drafting is a, a big part of my gameplay in both Azul and Sintra. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how that goes, Bruce. All right. Um, well, at least I identified the shark before getting, uh, <laughs> before getting eaten. Um, so in terms of kind of lighter games, I'm going to go with that. Um, so I actually got the chance to finally get to play Space Base by Aldrich Entertainment Group, AEG. Um, Josh, I, I don't know if you've been able to play Space Base. No? I have not. It is... 
a game that it has intrigued me a lot. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, and I didn't get to play just vanilla Space Base. And I say vanilla, but it's actually like there's some layers there in itself. But I also got to play with the newer satellite expansion. And so Space Base is, if you've ever played the game Machi Koro, which you can pick up everywhere. Um, you can pick it up at Target and you pick it up places like that. Um, so this quick first introduction is going to be ubiquitous for both Space Base and Machi Koro. Essentially, you have a player board in front of you or numbers in front of you, and it's like gambling on a table because you're going to roll two dice and you're going to use the results of those dice. And if you have those numbers reflected in front of you, you get the rewards on the cards that are listed in front of you. Space Base, though, adds in all the numbers from 1 to 12, and you start the game with them, plus one higher-powered thing. And what you're doing is you're trying... You can either use the numbers together um, to get something, a higher number, like 12, or you can split the numbers. So if I had 6 and 5, I could either go for 11, or I can activate the 6 and the 5. And on each of those spots, you're going to have different things. It may give you one money, it can give you one income bump, or a victory point. Those are the three things. You're trying to have the most victory points at the end of the game, and the game will end once somebody hits a predetermined number. For us, it was 40 victory points. And what you're doing, though, and what they did, and what's fascinating about Space Base is there's this really cool thing in which you are taking your little cards, which honestly look kind of like the size of a Band-Aid like they'd put on, and literally that size because you're fitting 12 of them in. And on the bottom of the card, printed upside down, is this red part that what you're trying to do is you're trying to actually get, the, get that number and then tuck that behind because you're gambling and you get the result when you roll. But if someone else rolls the dice and that, act, that numbers show up of the numbers that you have that are tucked behind, you get the now showing power. Um, so the red things are activate on other people's turn. And so you're trying to balance the cool stuff that you get to do on your turn and the cool stuff that you get to do on their turn. Um, so space space is a lot of, is a lot of fun. It's, a, it's relatively quick, um, really easy to pick up. Um, what's funny is every time it just kind of divul- like went down in this spiral of um, Lego movie, like spaceship, spaceship. Um, it's just like space base, like space base. Um, everybody just wanted to play space base. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and people are asking for it to come to the table. Um, but it is not necessarily fully my type of game, but I like the things it brings out in other players. And that was cool. So I'd probably use it for like a more lighthearted night, uh, but also a time to like bring out some like fun emotions of like gambling, high risk, high reward with players. And I'm just going to quickly, before turning it over to you, Josh, to to add in um, and ask some questions, I want to just say what the satellite expansion was. So essentially, it's a combination of an expansion meets a legacy box. It's a small box with different it's stack of cards, and you're only allowed to go so many cards. It's got cards that say, stop. And then you can proceed to the next stopping point once you do this thing. And so it adds in new layers to the game as you unlock them, as you're like exploring space or as you're discovering things in space, because technically there's kind of a story behind all this stuff. Now that is super light. It's kind of just there. Honestly, a lot of this game is just making fun of some other sci-fi space tropes. Um, but it was a cool way to introduce an expansion 
and get people wanting to play the expansion more um, and the game more without flooding the players with having to learn all sorts of new rule sets. So I kind of like what they did there because it's like legacy where I'm getting to explore. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's essentially how do we gamify and layer this information in a meaningful way so that way we're not just tsunamiing the players with new rules. So yeah. That's a really interesting way to do an expansion. I would not heard about the expansion, so I'm glad you got to share that, Bruce. That's um, really unique and something that I think uh, I would really enjoy in, in an expansion, the ability to teach... I enjoy games that I can teach as we play a game that I can set up and say, okay, it's your turn. You have choice A, B, C, and let's learn as we go. So the ability to do that written into the game, I think is really neat. I was interested to hear. So for me, Machi Koro was one of those games that when I first got into playing games, was was a huge hit. I loved it when I first started learning games. And it is a game that I don't think I would play again. Really under almost any circumstance at this point. Yeah, it it's a little light for me. It's a little too luck based for me at this point. It doesn't really feel good when I win. So it's interesting because I think a lot of people who have a similar feeling towards Machi Koro that I do have spoken very highly of Space Base. Yeah. But I don't I have not heard or seen the distinguishing factor between the two. And that's a really great point. And I can speak into that. So, yeah, Machi Koro. <sighs> It's really luck, um, and it's really samey because it's the same. It's the same sets of cards coming out every time. It's a very limited pool of cards, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you know what to expect. The thing about space base one, the whole thing of trying to balance, being able to get things from a number on your turn, and being able to balance and stack powers that you're getting from people and other people's turn, like that's a new layer there, and it's really clever and really cool. But the thing is, too, and there, I didn't talk about this, and that is the reason you get money in the game, because money isn't worth anything to you at the end, but there's some decks of three sets of, sh of different types of ships, and so there's a lot more randomness that can come into the availability and what's in those three markets for you to buy. So it's like the cheaper ships, the medium ships, and the, like, the more expensive things. And obviously, the powers kind of scale with those, but the thing about it, though, and I think the reason it works and the reason you're hearing that, this is just my thoughts on this, Machi Koro in itself is really all that luck. And the element of skill and making meaningful choices really not fully there. Now, yes, you do make choices. You can choose to buy one building or the other one, and yeah, it's going to be a thing. But here's the deal. The way you flip those cards is you buy different ships to replace them and that's how you get to like put them up there mm -hmm. so you're getting more meaningful choices out of and variety of choices out of the things you could add to your board and it's going to come out different every time that being said i do want to just give some credit to machi koro because they are coming out with a machi koro legacy and i have no idea what that's going to look like but that's a thing um and so maybe they're introducing some of this but 
I did find people feeling like they were making meaningful decisions while also trying to push their luck. Um, because you can try and make meaningful decisions that you're going to pay a lot of money and lose a lot of money for getting this one thing. But on your turn, guess what? You get to roll two special dice. No one else gets to roll. And so it does have more skill involved of knowing how to not only pick the right ships, but pick the right ships that are also going to synergize while also maximizing your return on investment. Yeah, uh, and that that is interesting and different enough. It, it's definitely one of those games that I would like to give a shot. Um, it's just light enough that I don't think it's something that I'm willing to to put money down on. And I think I've talked about this in the past. I'm kind of in a position right now where um, in my gaming group, if I'm not the one putting the money down on it, it's probably going to take a visit to a convention before I get something new to the table. Yeah, and that makes sense. Um, and this was actually not my copy or anything like that. This is actually a buddy's copy who brought it, um, and she brought it to all the things. Um, and so, but, I mean, we're all in kind of those situations, and I know our listeners can also be right there with you on that, Josh. Um, sure. But also, I know you've also evolved your gaming group quite a bit, so kudos to what you have done. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of great games, and when there's so many games coming out, there's also that whole thing of gatekeeping and just thriving the game community instead of oh just throwing new stuff out them as well absolutely yeah so that's been space base and do you want to talk about your last one sure i'm just going to kind of very briefly go into this one um because i think it it matches a game that the game i just talked about um apparently i didn't know this about myself but i've gotten very into stained glass in the last couple weeks um, and that is because in addition to Azul, Stained Glass of Sintra, I have been playing Sagrada, which is a, another game that is based on the creation of stained glass artwork. Specifically in Sagrada, you are drafting die that are different colored. You have a player board in front of you with a card inserted that will have some type of design. The design will include numbers, uh, a number of pips um, in, in different squares, as well as different colors in different squares. And so as you're drafting die, you must first start from an edge of your board, and then you must build off of that. You cannot place a piece that is not orthogonally adjacent to... Oh, I take that back. You can place diagonally adjacent it must be adjacent in some way to a piece you've already played it also must match the space you are covering so if you have a space that has two pips on it you can only place a die that has two pips on that space if it has a yellow space you can only place a yellow die and then you also cannot place uh two similar die next to one another, meaning you cannot place two twos next to one another, and you cannot place two yellows next to one another. So really kind of interesting, complicated decision-making as you're drafting. There's a little bit of luck involved in regards to what gets rolled, but then there's some tools that you can use in modifying the die or modifying your board in ways to hopefully make it work. And then you'll score points based off of a variety of conditions that you have at the end of the game that you'll be 
made aware of as you play. Sagrada is, is one of those games that I just so I compared and I think I talked about this a little bit when I mentioned role player a little while ago that that role player and Sagrada very much feel similar. They're dice drafting and based off of the value of the die that you're adding and the color of the die that you're adding to your board. To me, Sagrada is the better game design. I think role player has the better theme, but for me, Sagrada just feels a little more gamey. Um, it, it feels a lot more like like I'm making a lot more interesting decisions than than I was in role player. Um, I think. Bruce, both you and I have probably had a similar experience with Sagrada um, where the first time I had ever played this game, I actually played with an individual from our old game, my old game group, your current game group, yep. who is actually a stained glass artist. Yep. And so similar to my experience with Teotihuacan, where I was playing with a archaeologist, I got to play with someone who actually knew what they were talking about. And I think she's written a phenomenal review on BGG about Sagrada and how it really does a great job in capturing what it is to make stained glass art. So that was a really neat experience for me. Um, again, I Sagrada is, is a game that I, I truly do love. I think it's a really elegant design. Um, it is simple in its concept and incredibly intricate in the strategy and the mechanics that that are involved and the decision making that's involved. So uh, I don't know, Bruce, do you have really anything to add to that? What is your experience with with that game then? Yeah, so Sagrada, I played it in our game group. I've also played with that individual. And by the way, that individual is also the same person who brought Space Base. Um, she, Makes sense. And she identifies the fact that, yeah, they they the tools that they're using in Sagrada like make sense for what you're doing except for like three tools which like those aren't things um but she's like essentially this is what it's like uh where you're really like trying to do things right but just a lot less cuts and a lot less welding um <laughs> for me Sagrada is like just a really fun puzzle you can play it at all sorts of player counts it's going to be it scales well because you add in more dice or less dice, so it scales really, really well because I've done that. I've played just my wife and I. I've played it solo, and I've also played it five-player five a couple times. Um, it's gorgeous. Uh, the components, the dice they put in there are awesome. Uh, I do think it is a phenomenal, phenomenal game, and it, it, the look of it will draw people to the table and have them learn. And the way that I have actually explained it, because I own it, I actually got it in the BGG Secret Santa from my Secret Santa. After playing it, I put it on my list, and that's one of the things I got. And so that was really, really fun, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but Sagrada is one of those games when I'm explaining it, I honestly say, okay, think of a Sudoku. They have to start from the sides. But the the spots tell you what thing what the rules are for those spots, um, and that kind of mindset of like oh I can't put the same thing in the same row, or right next to each other like that's just something that I've that's helped me teach it. Now I do not think it's a Sudoku, but just putting that those words out there, it's helped me teach it um, because that is a frame of reference and that kind of feeling of getting to like accomplish something. Cause even if I've, I score awfully 
at the end of the day, I know that the decisions I made were mine. And it's like, I know how I can improve or I want to improve, but I can still be proud of the thing I did because I made meaningful choices. And so, yeah, that's why I, I like Sagrada. It's definitely something that's staying in our collection for a very long time. Well, and, and I, I want to highlight something that you mentioned there between the, the, the choices that you made and scoring well, because you can do, in my opinion, well at the game without scoring well. It is very easy to end up in a situation where you're not able to place pieces mm -hmm. because you made poor decisions. And each piece, piece that you don't place is a negative point. But you can also completely fill out your board and not meet the objectives that were set out for this game. And so you don't score well then either. Yep. But you still feel really good. 100%. You completed this stained glass without any missing pieces. And so I, that is something that I think is really fun, especially for new players is, you know, I'm not competing to win in points, but I'm competing to complete. I'm competing against myself to solve this puzzle. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a nice like layer of a, how do I learn to do this? But then the discovery, how do I do this while also doing that? And so it's it's really cool to watch that evolution that happens. And so, yeah, Sagrada, I'm a huge fan as well. Um, and so, listeners, go check that out. Um, go to the website. And so if you haven't checked it out on our website, boardgameimpact.com, there's actually a page that has games and gear. So because some people do ask us, like, hey, what stuff do you use to record this? So that stuff's there, but also the games we talk about on this podcast are there. Um, and any uh, clicks there or support there that you do through those links actually does help us make this show more possible. Um, and so do you want to just reference that? So if you're looking at, wait, I heard about a game. I don't know how it's spelled. Just go look there. It's got all the pictures. Um, but that's a really cool thing. So Josh, there are more games I would love to talk about, but I'm not because we're pretty much up on time. Um, and so with that, um, we're just going to hold some of these games for our next episode, listeners. So we've got more for you. Just tune in again. Um, Josh, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? I'm going to close with the same same spiel I always give. Uh, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us this week. Um, please do give us those reviews. That, that feedback is incredibly helpful for us. Um, as Bruce mentioned, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna cut off here because of some feedback that we've gotten about time. I, I think that's something that I recognized early on that, that we needed to be better at. And so hearing that from you as well, um, helped us make the decision that we're going to be a little bit more hard and fast on that, on that policy with our recording. So we do listen to that. Um, Please follow us on Facebook. Engage in conversation there. It's always nice to hear from from listeners there as well. And uh, again, I I know there are a million ways you could be spending your time. So thank you for for spending the time with us. Yeah, and that's very well said, Josh. So I'm going to go through some of this really quick. Um, just really very thankful that for some of the feedback. Again, that came because we did a call for like, hey, please, uh, while you're listening to this, before it ends, just click into that app and just do give a rating, maybe a little bit of comments, obviously, if you're not driving. Um, just for safety there. Um, but really, that feedback is super meaningful because we want to provide content that's going to be impactful for you. That's literally in the name of why we're doing this. Um, but really, just in overall, just thanks for listening to Board Game Impact. 
We hope that listening to all of this and what gaming experiences that we're getting to have is making a positive impact on you and your gaming group. I know it's making a very positive impact on us and being able to connect from a distance because we are in two different states as we're recording this. Um, but you can learn more about us and more about our backgrounds by going to boardgameimpact.com. If you have, if you want to give even more feedback or reach out to us and talk to us, um, you can uh, email us at boardgameimpact@gmail.com. Uh, besides the Facebook page, we also have an Instagram. That's just boardgameimpact. And then I also referred earlier to our Patreon. So that is a really great place to hear about episodes as soon as they're launched, as well as see kind of the behind the scenes and engage with us on a more community level. And so I do make some quick recordings and I'm talking to the Patreon as often as I can. Uh, but it's a really fun place. And I just encourage you to go over there because we, our Patreons are really helping literally make this show happen. And so thank you so much for those who have supported the show. And I encourage you to go and check that out. Um, please do share this uh, podcast also with your friends. So if you have friends who listen to podcasts or are getting into gaming, or if they're like not a gamer yet, I've actually found a lot of people really appreciate it who aren't gamers yet because we're breaking down the content. And so do share it with some non-gamer but podcast listeners. And then just really, I just want to stress that we are just so thankful that we get to do this. Um, and just cannot wait to get the next episode to you. Uh, we hope that you have an amazing time with the rest of your day, the rest of your week, and the rest of your month, and that hopefully there's a lot of fun gaming involved. Um, but besides that, we also hope that you go out and have a positive impact on the world. Talk to you next time. <laughs>